It's ironic that I was going to start my message today by talking about how we like to keep things casual here. Uh, and uh, on a morning where uh, we've had some interesting things happen, uh, I don't think that's just a coincidence. Uh, we like to keep things casual around here. And uh, we don't like to take ourselves too seriously, but you know that we love to take God very seriously. And so uh, it's important that you know today that uh, not just today, but any Sunday, uh, you can come as you are not only on the outside, uh, but on the inside. And on that note, I feel rather inclined to tell you this story, uh, uh, particularly about our attire for worship. And so um, I happened to hear from my mom this past week that she was talking to my grandpa. My grandpa's 93 years old, and uh, he lives on a farm in rural Minnesota. And so he is just Norwegian to the core. And so uh, Traditionally, uh, Norwegian Lutherans are, are rather conservative, uh, not only in their view of God, but also in their view of church and what we should wear to church. And so uh, this got me rather excited. Uh, my grandpa is in that generation of men that are, are pretty quiet, pretty reserved, uh, not exactly emotional and, and all those sorts of things. And so um, with a tremendous respect for the church and uh, him and my grandma have been attending this rural uh, Norwegian Lutheran church in the country for his entire life. He's lived on the same farm for, for 90 years. And, uh, and so he has changed in the last few years. And all of a sudden, he's just like this giddy young kid again. And he just has these long conversations with my mom. And she said she was having a conversation with him this week. And he said, Sandy, guess what? You'll never guess what happened this week. My mom says, what, Dad? What, what could have possibly happened? I mean, I, did the cows get out? Did, did Grandma fall? Did the dog run away? What? What's going on? Oh, you'll never guess what I did this week. I wore jeans to church. Oh, man, he was so excited. And he's just like a giddy teenager that had kind of this rebellious tone to it. He's, I wore jeans to church. It was just to the midweek Lenten service, though. It wasn't a real church on Sundays. So uh, I'm still going to wear my suit on Sunday. I've always done that. But I wore jeans to church, and so uh, we figured that he's loosening up a little bit uh, in his old age. So, But we hope the same is true here, that uh, no matter how old you are, what background uh, you're coming from uh, today, no matter what you might be dealing with, uh, Jesus promised uh, to us today and every single day is that he accepts us just as we are. No matter what we look on the outside, no matter what we're feeling on the inside, no matter what we're dealing with, um, he accepts us just as we are, but he refuses to leave us that way. God has a good work to do in our hearts this morning. In fact, as we've been talking about the past several weeks, Jesus is in the business of making us into entirely different kinds of of people. We've been talking about this sermon series that we've been in for a few weeks now called Extreme Makeover. And no, it's not the television show, and I don't think that Ty is going to join us uh, anytime soon. But as we've been traveling uh, through Lent, we've been talking about how we're being grown and shaped by God. Two weeks ago, we talked about kind of an introduction to the spiritual disciplines, and they're way more about training rather than just trying harder. Last week, we talked about developing prayer as, as a lifestyle of not just before I go to bed and before I eat dinner. It's a lifestyle. It's a conversation, an ongoing conversation with God. And also, just as a quick review, it's also important to not only know what the spiritual disciplines are, it's important to know what the spiritual disciplines are not. And so as a quick 
review. Uh, We know that these exercises, these things that we've been talking about these weeks, are not a way to earn God's love. They're not a way uh, to be good enough or to earn our way to heaven. Secondly, these these spiritual disciplines aren't just empty duties that we go through. I'm not going to stand up here and say, you should do this and you should do that. Anything we want to come out of the depths of your heart, of the overflow of who you are, not as some Christian duty that we feel like we should do. It's a get-to, not a got-to, in other words. And so today, I think we'll discover as well, as we dive into our discipline today, that these disciplines are not just things that we, that we do. They're, they're things that, that, that weave into our everyday normal, normal routine. Because as we, as we walk with God, we'll find out very quickly that, that God has a habit of meeting us in and using the most ordinary situations of our lives. Kind of the, the mundane moments of our lives where we think, that's not a spiritual moment. Maybe God can't meet me there. But God is interested in all of you. God is not interested in creating in you a spiritual life or a prayer life. God just wants you to get a life. <laughs> not in a bad way, but God wants you to have a life and he's in every part of it. God is committed to making you like his son. And so today, we're going to focus on uh, soul training exercises, we've also been calling them, that you may have never considered on your list, the discipline of servanthood, the discipline of, of serving. And here's what I love about this one. As opposed to some of those other disciplines that we've been talking about, like reading scripture, being in the word, and and uh, the, uh, the discipline of prayer, uh, living a life of service is not something we can just check off our list. Uh, it's not something that as you're going down your, your to-do list of here's my cr- Christian duties, and yes, I said my prayers today, uh, yes, I read my scripture today, and I am called to be a servant. Hmm. A little bit more than just a Christian duty. A little bit more than one more thing on our list. Living a life of service weaves itself into every part of our lives when we're picking up the kids from school or we're taking the dog for a walk or we're doing our taxes, that living a life of service is not one more thing we can just check off. And that's why I think that Jesus' call for us to actively pursue service, to become a servant, to to live lives of humility and submission is a beautiful picture of God's desire for these spiritual disciplines to get woven in to every part of our lives. Because the practice of of discipline, of service and humility is less about getting through it and has everything to do with the change that being a servant produces inside of us. It's about the fruit that it produces. So the obvious question as we get started today is why? Why is it important for us to be servants? And it doesn't take long for us as we're, we're getting to know Jesus that this was the very heartbeat of who he was. If we look at his life, the, the, the very truth of the incarnation that Jesus came from heaven to earth, Jesus coming to earth is evidence enough that his life from the get-go was going to be lived for the sake of others. And it's laid out for us pretty plain in Philippians chapter 2. So if you've got your Bibles, would you open with me to Philippians chapter 2? Laid out pretty plain and simple for us what the heart of God is. Philippians chapter 2, beginning at verse 4. Philippians is going to be way back towards the end of your Bible. 
after the Gospels. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians. I don't have a page number. for 900. 900 if you have the Bibles that are underneath the chairs. Philippians chapter 2, beginning at verse 4. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Your attitude should be the same as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. But he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. And so if we look at this, it's the story of the gospel in a nutshell. We have a God that loves us so much that he was willing to leave the comfort, the riches, the safety of heaven and drop right into the middle of our messy lives. And he says, I'm going to show you the best possible way that you can live. The most satisfying, life-giving way that you could possibly spend your lives. And it's giving yourself away. It's giving yourself away. Even though you don't need to, even though most of us sitting in this room are okay, we're doing okay, even though we don't need to, even though you can just kind of, all of us can just sort of go through the motions of Christianity and never really become a servant, Jesus says this is where joy is found. This is where true joy is found. This is what I made you for. Jesus even says it himself in Mark chapter 10. He says this, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. And so we're called to join him in being those kinds of people. So why do we emphasize serving so much, both here at church, and we're always talking about it in your daily lives, and as we work it into being a spiritual discipline, why do we, why do we have a mission of the month every month? And sometimes if it's like February, two or three, I guess, uh, missions of the month, um, why, why is one of the first things that we do when we form small groups, when we get you connected in small groups, why is one of the first things that we ask is that you serve together? And to be honest, why, why do we have you serving in teams? Why this morning did we have a chair team? Why this morning did we have a production team that sets up all the audio equipment? Why do we have a hospitality team? Why do we have a greeter team? Why do we have a missions team and a worship team? I wonder if, 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 if we could only do two or three things. Sometimes I wonder if we could only do two or three things as a church. If we only did a few why would, why would I say that serving the church, each other, and serving the city around us would be right at the top? Why is all that? Because every healthy community, every healthy team, no matter what the size, no matter if it's Christian or secular, no matter what the task is, every healthy community or organization all have a mission that's greater than themselves. It's not simply about being a club and getting together so that you can serve internally. Nothing builds community as fast and as deep as serving together. When our men's ministry was first getting going in this church, the number one catalyst 
was not an amazing Bible study. The number one catalyst was not an amazing curriculum that we found. The number one catalyst was not some amazing men's ministry leaders that we have at this church. Oh, they are, they are pretty awesome and I enjoy them. The number one catalyst for starting our men's ministry, chair teams. <laughs> it sounds ridiculous, but chair teams. Nothing builds community faster than serving together. And a lot of you have discovered that as you've plugged in in different ways. And so my challenge to you today is plug in. My challenge for your small group today is plug in and serve. If you're feeling a little sluggish in your faith this morning, if you feel a little, uh, maybe you have some um, uh, winter, winter blues and you're feeling a little stuck and you're, you're feeling a little uh, hemmed in, a little cooped up, get together as a small group. Get together with some other people and serve. Then come back to your group and talk about it. So what is it about being servants, about living humble lives that changes us so much? How does God use serving in our lives to change us? Well, first of all, it changes us because we know that more often than not, those of us who serve are the ones that get changed the most. I can't think of of, of anyone that has gone out on one of our mission trips, Hope Wide, whether that's overseas or whether that's around the country. I can't think of somebody that's come back from one of our missions events here that we've done. I said, you know, how did the thing go at Freedom for Youth? Or how did did meal packaging go? Or how did things at Shalom Zone go? Or how did uh, rebuilding those homes go? It was a drag. It just wasn't any fun at all. I just... You know, we, we just made this person's day, but it wasn't really exciting. It was really hard, and I don't know if I'm going to do it again. I have never heard that, and if you hear that, we need to not go on that mission trip again because God does incredible things when we reach outside of ourselves. The number one thing that we hear when people come back is, I went to change them. I went to serve. I went to bring Jesus to them. I went to go lead this or to lead that or to be a part of that and to give them that and to serve that. And the number one thing that people say when they come back is, no, it changed me. Being a part of that event, being a part of that project, it changed me in the process. Secondly, we're called to serve because this is one of my favorite ones is that nothing like serving produces joy. You want to find the people that have the most real joy, not happiness, not circumstantial happiness that ebbs and flows with the circumstances of our lives. Deep, real, true joy. You want to find the people around hope that have the most joy is the people that serve, is the people that are actively involved in serving, not alone. We never do ministry alone. The people that are actively serving on teams and whether that be in the community or whether teams at church, I don't think I've ever heard somebody say that that was a drag being a part of that team. They don't regret it. There's something in us that comes alive. There's something in us that says, this is what I was made to do. It just feels right. And if you need evidence of this, if you spent any time here last weekend during our meal packaging event, you would know this. I have never seen so much joy in a room. We had tables lined up right where you're sitting right now. Eight different stations lined up. I have never seen so much joy in a room. 
And you have to be joyful when you're feeding the world, right? No one's sitting there scooping the, the soy and the rice into the bin saying, oh, what a drag. We're helping solve world hunger. hunger. What a drag. This is boring. I have never seen so much joy in a room. You want to talk about joy. Our folks from Breakfast Club that, that, that come on the bus every Sunday, they're, they're down here. And, and I am so proud of you because you set an example for us in what serving with true joy means. I'm up here running around, getting ready for worship, and all of a sudden I hear, hey! and there's clapping and cheering, and you're just going nuts. What is so exciting about soy and rice? What is so exciting that you would clap about that? These people are just going nuts down in the cafeteria. I'm like, what is going on down there? And they're cheering and they're filling boxes and they got another one filled and they're giving high fives. It's crazy. What is that? What, what is it that's so contagious about that? There's laughing and cheering and what's that all about? It's about being a part of something bigger than you. It's about having a faith that's active. It's about having a faith that says, God, I want to love you and I want to love others because you've given me so much. You've given so much to me. Where can I serve? Where can I be available? And I know for many of us, right now we're going through a really difficult time. And maybe the past few months or the past year has not been easy and the last thing that's on your mind is, I want to serve. Because when life throws curveballs our way, when we're in those transition times in our lives or if we're going through difficulties, the first thing that doesn't come to mind is, who can I serve? But I tell you what, nothing will fight boredom. Nothing will fight anxiety or stress. Nothing will fight turmoil inside of you like serving. When you reach outside of yourself. And I am so proud of this church because it's been a difficult year for a lot of us and it still is a difficult year for a lot of us. But that hasn't slowed you down. It hasn't slowed you down from serving. It hasn't slowed you down from giving. And we've seen God take the little that we are able to give. Even if we don't feel like we have a lot to give, even if we feel like, I don't really know where I fit in at the church. I I, I don't really have, I'm not gifted in anything. I don't know how to do certain things. God takes the little things that we give, what we can offer him, and we've seen God multiply that in so many ways this year because we are called to be faithful and obedient. And God's going to take care of growth. God's going to take care of the multiplication. And so before we go on, I want to turn it over to you. There's a reason you're sitting in pods today, and it's not just to look at each other. It's to talk to each other. And so I'm going to turn it over to you, and uh, we don't have anything up on the screen, so I'm just going to tell you what the question is. And once again, no pressure. If you don't want to share, that's fine. But I invite you to discuss in your groups, if you could go around, and if you're willing, describe a time recently when you were serving here at City Branch on a team or you were serving out in the community, something that you did recently. And I want you to talk about what you were feeling while you were serving, what that experience was like for you. And then secondly, what changed in you because of that? So describe a time that you served recently, what feelings came up during that. And then secondly, what changed in you because of taking on that act of servanthood? What changed 
in you. And we'll come back in a few minutes. Go for it. All right. If you want to go ahead and wrap up your conversations, and those of you on the ends, if you just want to flip your chairs back around, that would be awesome. So I'm guessing that as you're talking, um, let me think of several of the things that might have been said. When I served, I just became uh, much more of an angry person. Uh, when, I, when I served, I just, I just kind of felt down in the dumps after I served. I, I, just, I just didn't have any emotion in me. What, is that the kind of things that were said? I'm get, no, no, that's definitely not. Nothing like serving produces joy in us. And I, I pray that you were blessed a little bit by hearing other people's stories. And if sometime you just need a boost, talk to somebody that's serving and have them share their heart with you. Something stirs in us. Something very real stirs in us. A couple of years ago, uh, my brother and I lived out in Colorado and we were a part of a, a big, huge church and they had a young adult ministry for, for college students and, and folks in their 20s. And so we were a part of that for a while and it's probably a thousand people in this group, just a huge uh, young adult group. And so we started going there and we started to get to know some people and I really enjoyed the, the pastor, the speaker, and his name was Aaron. And uh, he was obviously pretty popular. He was pretty well known and a lot of people looked up to him and... and um, Aaron taught me a lesson that I will never forget. There was one time after worship where he had just spoke to this huge crowd of a thousand people, this huge auditorium, and we were kind of hanging around, and my brother and I stuck around afterwards, and we're kind of talking out of the corner of my eye. I see Aaron, he's over there folding up tables. <laughs> folding the pastor, right? The guy is supposed to be maybe in the back room praying and being holy and all that stuff. He's out folding tables with volunteers. And then a couple minutes later, I see him over and he's talking to the person that's, that's brewing the coffee or taking down the coffee supplies and putting them back into the closet. He's helping him wheel the car. And, and, and this got me rather intrigued. And as I looked around, in fact, I saw that everybody was helping. Everybody was helping out. The, the leaders, the, the small group leaders that we were in, and the, the worship leader was help pushing a chair cart. And, and everybody that was in leadership, everybody that was up on the stage was actually a part of the teardown process and a part of serving in that way. And so I'd never seen anything like this before. And so I got kind of interested in, in, in that. And, and we were staying after one time, and I, and I saw Aaron. He was talking to some people, and I just went over and said, hey, I don't mean to interrupt, and I just wanted to, to introduce myself. I'm John. I'm from Iowa. And he goes, Idaho? No, Iowa. Um, and I just wanted to introduce myself and say I, I appreciate uh, this gathering was called The Mill. I said, I appreciate The Mill very much. I appreciate uh, your speaking. I, and I'm just wondering, um, do you always help tear down tables? He says, no, not always. Sometimes it's chairs and uh, sometimes it's the coffee cart and sometimes it's vacuuming. I really like to vacuum. And uh, sometimes it's picking up uh, the, the welcome center and putting everything away in the closet. I said, I said, I'm not trying to sound weird or anything, but why? <laughs> There's like a thousand other people here that could help, help with that. Why, why do you get in, in, involved uh, with that? And, and I just noticed that I appreciate this about the mill, but everybody gets involved. And don't you have other things going on? And what he said, I will never forget. He said, it doesn't matter how big or how successful we ever get. I will always jump in to tear down tables. I will always jump in when needed to tear down chairs. I will always jump in if somebody needs to take out the trash. 
And I asked him why, and he said, first of all, it's because that's who we're called to be as the church. Every single one of us servants. And he said, but here's the more important one (laughs) for me personally. And Aaron said this, I have to remind myself that I will never be above moving tables. Never. And I will never forget him saying that. That changed my perception of what a pastor should be. That changed my perception of what the church should be. We don't arrive at a certain point where at a certain time we become above serving. There's a reason we've shown you the hope circle before. And if we had this, I would show you that this morning. There's this discipleship pathway where we go from being seekers of our faith to, uh, to believers, to followers of Christ. And then kind of the last stage, not an ending stage, but a point where we start to give it away. We call that most mature stage of our faith servant. Not king or leader or pastor or almighty holy guru or anything. Servant. I have to remind myself that I will never be above moving tables. And Aaron said, that's the example that I want to set. And I think that in that, he grasped the heart of Jesus' words. That that when, when Jesus came from heaven to earth, that his fact that he was in the very nature of God, that he was God, is not something to be grasped. Leadership, authority, is not something to be lorded over people. You become a leader so that you can give it away. You become a leader so that you can serve. That is the most mature stage in our faith that we get. And we don't just stay there, we move and we keep giving it away and we keep giving it away and we keep learning more so that we can make disciples and keep giving it away even more. And there's different ways we make disciples. You can make disciples by leading a Bible study. You can make disciples by leading a chair team. You can make disciples by being in your dorm room and and inviting people in. You can make disciples by being a a welcoming, uh, having a welcoming atmosphere in your cubicle. You can make disciples in your family, in your own house. In fact, starting there. Jesus knew what he was doing when he called us to live in this way. He knew that when we get outside of ourselves and learn to look to the interests of others, that it was going to start changing us that it was going to produce those things in us that we call the fruits of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience. Those things don't just pop up. They happen when we start to serve. When Christ's love compels us to serve, simply when we serve and expect nothing in return. But of course, this is the secret of service and humility that in our scripture today, if you want to flip back to our scripture, Matthew 23 If you want to look at that really quick, Matthew 23. Val, what page was that on again? 753. Matthew chapter 23, page 753. This is what the Pharisees missed. The Pharisees loved their places of leadership. They loved their titles. They loved to be called master and teacher and rabbi and come and, 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 and bow down to me and, 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 and all those things. They loved to stand on the street corners and listen to me pray. Listen to how religious I am. So you can imagine when Jesus comes and they catch wind that Jesus washed the feet of his disciples. What? This is unheard of. 
But this is the very secret of serving that the Pharisees didn't understand. We read in our scripture today from Matthew 23. Jesus gives this strong rebuke to the Pharisees. These people that are looking religious and and doing good works. Their their titles and their positions of authority had become uh, this game for who could upstage the next person. But they missed the whole point. They missed the whole point. Jesus says, no, at the very end of the passage, the greatest of you. If you want to become great in your lifetime, serve. Be a servant to all. Not just to people that are below you, but to people that are above you. Not just to people that that you're their boss, but to the people that are your boss, to the people that you look up to. Pharisees missed the joy of serving. They missed the joy of serving for an audience of one. They missed the joy that you found here in being a part of City Branch, not because it's always easy to serve, not because it's the, 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 the ideal situation, not because being a mobile church is easy, not because serving the city and not because reaching out to troubled teens and, 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 and uh, the people that are, are, are struggling and to find shelter and people that are struggling to find clothing, the people that are standing outside in, in lines for days on end waiting for handouts, not because that's easy, not because it's glamorous, not because the things that we do in missions of the month are things that are going to get us in the newspaper and on on the TV, although we did make 10 seconds. That was our moment of fame on Channel 8 last week. Not because of any of those things. That's not why we serve. That's why the Pharisees would stand out. Look at me. Look at us. Look what we're doing. I think what we found here is the joy of serving when nobody else is looking. Integrity. Who we are when nobody else is around. Reaching out and going to places in our city where nobody else is going. And being the hands and feet of Jesus. You found that kind of joy. And I don't think that I've ever been around a community of people like this. That has so much real joy. And it's because it's not about us, and it never has been, and it never will be. Jesus knew what he was doing when he called us to live in this way. And of course, the secret of service and humility that the Pharisees missed is doing it for no other reason than simply because Christ's love compels us. It's powerful. It's powerful. You found that joy, and I think what we've discovered is that combination of building strong relationships. The reason we talk about small groups so much, the power of strong relationships, of of getting to know each other, of getting inside each other's homes, combined with serving and loving people in our city, that combination is powerful. But it can't just be one or the other. We have to know each other. We have to have relationship. And once we do that, we have to reach outside of ourselves. And it's something that we're called to keep inviting people into. Remember, it's not about us. It's just as much for the people that are outside these walls today. To not wait for people to come to church with us, but to go and bring church to people. And that's the heart behind Lent. That's the heart behind the extreme makeover. 
that God wants to do a change not only inside of us, but in the city around us. And I mentioned that extreme makeover list. And I dare you, (laughs) I dare you to find an opportunity on that list that you don't have time for. I dare you to find an opportunity on that list that you can't plug into this week. It's there. There are hundreds of opportunities. Can you imagine what Des Moines and Clive and Altoona and West Des Moines and Windsor Heights and Beaverdale, can you imagine what those places would look like when a church of close to 12,000 people is set loose? Pretty exciting stuff. I can't wait a month from now to see how this city is different because of that project. So I encourage you to hop on there. I also dare you to find something on that list that you've never done before. I dare you to find something on that list that's way out of your comfort zone, that's going to stretch you as a follower of Christ. And I hope that this list is a great tool, but it's also a powerful reminder of the hundreds of opportunities that surround us every single day that aren't looking for professionals. They're not looking for people that have it all together. They're not looking for people that are perfect or for experts, or they're not looking necessarily for people that have tons and tons and tons of free time to give. We're just looking for people with a willing heart. People that are willing to say, here I am, Lord. Send me. Send me. Is there a place, is there a group of people that God has surrounded you with in your life that he's calling you to serve this week? Maybe something that's right in front of your eyes that you're overlooking and you're getting so involved in in reaching out and serving to so many other people that maybe you've overlooked your own family. Because in the midst of serving the church and serving the city, I pray that we would not neglect the opportunities that we have to serve that live under the same roof as us. Husbands, I dare you to outdo God in loving and serving your wives. Wives, I dare you to outdo God in loving and serving your husbands. I dare all of you to outdo God in loving and serving the people around you, your friends, your relatives, your neighbors, your coworkers, those you're sitting by right now. I would challenge you this week and in the weeks ahead to not read one more book about serving, to not go to one more conference about serving, to not read one more book about marriage, to not go to one more conference about marriage. Do it. Do it. Serve your spouse by praying for them this week. There is nothing more important that you could do. Serve the people that you work with every single day, whether you like them or not. Pray for them regularly. Ask God, when you get up in the morning, what posture do we have? Are we saying, God, I feel like the world owes me something because of what's happened to me recently in my life? Or do we wake up with the posture in life that says, God, who do you want to cross my path with today? God, who are those people in my life that you want me to serve today? I pray that you'd open my eyes to those opportunities. I want to end today... uh, going back to uh, a story about my grandpa, the same ones that wore jeans to church for the first time. Um, 
I get a little envious of my grandpa sometimes because of the life that he lived. And he's not a pastor, never has been, never will be. But he's modeled to me what being a leader, what being a servant leader is all about. My wife and I visited them about a month ago and we stopped and there wasn't all the other relatives around. He's got six kids, one of which my mom is, 17 grandkids and seven great-grandkids. Um, a rather large family, but it was just us, just four of us with my grandpa and grandma. And, and as we were talking and there wasn't a lot of noise and clutter and cousins running around and everything, I think I noticed for the first time my grandpa's hands as he was sitting there in his favorite chair. I noticed his hands. And as I looked at him, they were worn. And they were tattered and they were calloused and they were used. They were hands of service. They were hands that said, the most important thing I can do in my life is love my wife. The most important thing that I can do in my life is raise a family of children that love the Lord. The most important thing that I can do in my life is be a faithful and obedient follower of Christ that gets my kids to church every Sunday whether they like it or not, no matter what they look like. I want to get my kids through college and that's success for me. And by the way, I'll be a farmer for 57 years. These hands have known what it means to be a servant. My grandpa lived on that same farm his entire life. And I think sometimes we get caught up in all the excitement and all the buzz about what's the next big thing? What's the next hip and trendy thing that we can do as a church? And sometimes serving and outreach becomes this hip and trendy thing that everybody's doing and so we just serve because everybody else is doing it. What I admire about my grandpa is that he lived his life in a way that he felt nobody owed him anything. And he lived his life in a way with no complaints, asking for nothing, never asking to deserve any special treatment. And so I asked myself, what am I using my hands for? When, when I get to the end of my days, I want to be able to look at my hands and say, these were turned outward and towards others. I want my hands to be torn. I want my hands to be battered and bruised because that's the kind of life that I lived. And I want to be able to sit in my chair when I'm 93 years old and know that maybe the most important things that I did was love my wife, was as faithful as I could to following Christ and brought as many other people along for the ride as I could. And that will be success, and we'll just leave the rest up to God. What are you using your hands for today? God calls us to the spiritual discipline of servanthood, not just because it's a cool thing to do, not just because everybody else is doing it, not just because it's a good program to have in your church. What's your legacy going to be? What's your life about today? What are you using your hands for? Let's stand together.
today we have the incredible opportunity to not just talk about serving and talk about being a community, but to truly celebrate that life together. And Jesus gives us this incredible gift. On the night that he was with his disciples, he said, I want to serve you in this way. I'm going to wash your feet, and I'm also going to tell you the ultimate sacrifice. The ultimate way that I'm going to serve you is by giving my life away. Jesus says, I want to be connected to you. And through his life and death and resurrection, we have the opportunity to connect with him in a real way today as we celebrate Holy Communion. And the Bible tells us that if we say we have no sin, that we deceive ourselves, that we make God out to be a liar, that we don't need him. But if we confess our sins, God, who is faithful and just, promises to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so Jesus invites us today to come and to share in the bread and the wine. And before we do that, I want to just take a few uh, moments to stop and pause and reflect and to confess to him those things that are on our hearts, those sins done and left undone, those things that we're wrestling with today. Let's just take a moment and be still before our God.